Welcome to the Food Professor Podcast, episode 13, the Baker's Dozen episode. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm Sylvain Chalabois. Well, Sylvain, we're taping this uh, as we always do a day before release, so it's Remembrance Day, and, and I wanted to, uh, to call that out as, as we honor our, our veterans and the men and women who serve our our country and and you have a, a special connection right your your first uh, degree you were at rmc in kingston you did a, a bcom there so you served yourself yes oh yes absolutely for five years i was a full-time officer and and served in the military for five years and 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 you you get real you get to understand first of all you get to study strategic military studies uh and you get to understand the stakes the pain suffering and, and the sacrifice you, you I, I was in the air force so there were two main events per year uh, remembrance day of course on november 11th and the battle of britain which is a mm. really big deal in september as well and and every time you reflect on what has happened throughout our history and after the parade after ceremonies uh you get to go to legion uh, as an officer and you get to chat with veterans and that was the best part because mm. you really get to talk to people who went to war of course there are fewer and fewer of them today uh, I was mm-hmm. actually in the service from 87 to 92 and so uh, so you, we were lucky uh, to really hear great stories from from veterans that that uh, who were still alive so so I, I, I'm I'm grateful as a Canadian I'm grateful and uh, when we were living in Austria in 2015 on November 11th uh, so we were living in Innsbruck I was I was actually teaching at the University of Innsbruck that day on November 11th, we drove to the location where Eagle's Nest was located. Yeah. Uh, that's where Hitler actually strategized, yeah. designed his old plot. Nearby, there was a, a plane crash. Uh, the plane that actually destroyed Eagle's Nest was flown by Canadian. Wow, I didn't know yeah. that. And so the, it, that village, that German village, uh, for many years, Germans were were not very keen in celebrating the end of the Second World War, obviously, for for obvious reasons. I mean, there, there, mm-hmm. there was shame and, uh, and of mm-hmm. course, everything that came out of 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 the of the war really was not great for Germans but after a while they got comfortable and wanted to celebrate with the rest of the world uh, the sacrifice and and what what has happened to honor the Canadians who were flying the bomber which bombed the eagle's nest they actually they actually created a statue by melting the metal coming from the plane that crashed in the valley Wow. Yeah. So I had we, no idea. So I as a family, that. we went to Eagle's Nest, mm. and then probably, I would say, about five kilometers away, there was a statue in the middle of nowhere. It was basically mm. literally in the middle of nowhere, and sure. we took a picture as a family together. That was five years ago today. Wow. Great episode ahead. I mean, we, we hit the trifecta. We've got, you've got some great research we're going to talk about in a minute of online grocery. We have a great interview with Peter Van Stock. Uh, who is a visionary in online grocery from unbelievable uh, just yeah, unbelievable great, yeah great conversation i mean i've known peter for years and and he's got spud in vancouver and food x and he's now got a deal he's doing work with carrefour and and so we will we'll unpack that a bit and then the third piece is uh, is today he's announcing a new partner in canada we couldn't get it out of him in the interview 
I have um, an idea who it is, but I, I just didn't want to say. Uh, I don't want to speculate. Yeah. I don't want to speculate, but we'll we'll follow up with. Uh, well, we'll uh, an independent retailer in Vancouver. Hmm, who mm. could that be? Right. Mm, yeah, I have an idea too. But anyway, <laughs> but it's, a, it's a great concept because uh, independent yeah. grocers are looking for solutions. Right. Pivoting is not. They don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the expertise. So when I was hearing Peter's story, I said, this is awesome. This is going to be yeah. great for independence because yeah. I actually do think that independence uh, will will come out stronger, uh, come mm. out of COVID stronger with more mm. opportunities. Uh, think When you think about telecommuting, when you're yeah. thinking about uh, people wanting different kinds of products they want more variety uh as food prices go up uh, people may decide to uh to give a chance to independent grocers that are trying to sell something unique something different yeah. well and the missing piece for the indies is e-commerce cost effectively so you can rent whether it's uber eats or instacart you can rent e-commerce so to speak you know pick from store very inefficient delivered by a third party very expensive so peter's coming right up the center of that so it's it's uh, i think that's the missing piece to your puzzle so that's a good segue into your research because uh, that comes out today again one of the first times we've actually you know coincidentally launched an episode so we can actually talk about it in in uh, in real time so to speak so what did you discover when you uh, when you and i think it was cattle you worked with uh, in this research that's talk right, to yeah. Seven seventy two hundred Canadians. I mean, your breadth always impresses me. So, what did you learn about e commerce and Canadians in uh, in the pandemic and and thoughts moving forward? Yeah, so our partnership with Cattle is working out very well. We owe a lot to to Cattle. It's a great it's a great organization, a great field house, and 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 because of our relationship with Cattle, we've been able to support our our rapid response research program. And this is what it's all about. These media reports uh, allows us to better understand phenomena very quickly. Uh, succinctly. I mean, these reports are four or five pages. They're not too long uh, and they're easy to understand. And and the one question mark that we've had since the beginning of COVID is what's going on with e-commerce? Uh, people are saying that they are buying online, but how busy is it really? Well, right. <laughs> busy. busy. it's busy. Yeah, absolutely. So we basically, based on our model and based on, on the data that we got from, from cattle, we actually believe that 4.2 million Canadians have actually ordered food online mm. for the first time in the last six months. Wow. That's a lot of people. So for the first time, so 4.2 million Canadians who had previous to COVID, or at least previous to 2020, not shopped online for groceries and or food delivery, right? That's right. And that includes everything, meal kits, ordering from a restaurant, ordering from uh, a grocer, whether it's curbside or uh, delivery. So it's, it's the whole gamut. Mm -hmm. As soon as you go online, you're, you're part of the survey. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is we also looked at the future. Of course, uh, with, with the conversation we had with Peter, it reinforced what we found out as a, as a lab. Basically, Basically, half of Canadians actually plan to order online at least once a week after the pandemic. So that's that. That is a lot it's of huge. people. Oh, it's 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 forty nine point five percent, but it's it's really a lot of people. And 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 frankly, 
the forecast is conservative. We actually think it's probably going to be more. And, and once a week, it means whether you're going to be ordering groceries online or you're going to be ordering from a restaurant online as well. So both would be included, but still lots of traffic, lots of things going on virtually uh, in the food space in Canada. Well, and I think online grocery, it's my position that it spins the flywheel for overall e-commerce. In other words, the flywheel being one leads to three leads to nine, right? This geometric growth, because the the frequency of purchase groceries, you're shopping online, you say, hey, well, if I buy my groceries online, I can expand that to other commodities that I may not That's be right. doing today. So I, I think it, it, it is a massive influencer of consumer behavior. I don't think we're, I don't think there's any going back. And, and certainly Peter's talked about in our interview, which we'll, we'll play in a bit, you know, he talked about 180% growth and he's got his projections, which oh, by yeah. the way, he's had since like 2010, like when, when he first launched, <laughs> yeah. I remember him talking to me and he goes, here's what I think it's going to be in 2025. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if I see that, but boy, well, yeah. I mean, remember before COVID, like people yeah. were saying, well, I'm not going to order food online. Yeah, I don't and, get it. I, I don't, I, you know, why would I? And exactly. All and when we're talking to Nielsen and other uh, field houses and they all, they were always saying, well, mm. getting the first order in from right. someone is the hardest. And then you create, you create a habit. COVID based on what we're finding out, COVID just pushed a lot of people over the edge and say, well, I have to order online now because I'm I'm self-isolating. I don't want to go to a grocery store because I'm concerned yeah. about my health. It just and pushed. You know, you know, the other thing that people have told me and, and grocers have told me is that people are very now uh, mission driven. In other words, uh, they go to the grocery store not to browse and sample and you know linger, but they go to shop and leave. Which means yeah. the some of the joy is gone, right? In the COVID era, from shopping, like right, because you, you well, don't just I mean, wander in. And, you go to the grocery store, and like I go to, I actually enjoy going to the grocery store mm-hmm. and, and browse around looking for you know new stuff. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm starting to learn mm-hmm. how to smile with my eyes only. <laughs> the technique we're all going to have you know you, know, you want you want to greet you want to be nice to people when you when you see them in the grocery store but it's it's super hard to actually smile without the mouth without just yeah, with the yeah. eyes it's not easy you, you, well, you just speak- look like you're about to sneeze <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true um mastering a new whole skill set for exactly. us all exactly so speaking of of some good news, there's some good news for some people in your part of the world. I wanted to get your uh, perspective on the Clearwater deal. So Clearwater is massive, um, massive Atlantic fisher and man, and processor, and they've been uh, they've struck an, a very interesting deal with the Micmac First Nations, uh, big player. And tell me tell me your thoughts on 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 this uh, this deal. It looks pretty innovative from the outside in, but what's your perspective? There's nothing. There's nothing fishy about this deal. <laughs> you heard good. that? You heard that pun? <laughs> I, I, I see what you did there. As soon as I heard the news, first of all, I think everyone knew in the Atlantic that that Clearwater was for sale. And Clearwater, for for those who don't know, I mean, it's it's the largest uh, seafood mm-hmm. player in in the Atlantic. It's a huge player. It was founded by a couple of people, including John Risley, who's well known. A uh, great guy, uh, very respected here in the Atlantic. He basically announced uh, a while back that his company was for sale. So it was just a matter of time before we knew who was going to buy it. And of course, at the time, people were nervous because yeah. we could we could see potentially see Clearwater being bought by an external player. 
Yeah, external uh, to Canada. Yeah. External to Canada because Clearwater's yeah. business is very external. And it's, mm-hmm. so Clearwater is actually probably more well-known outside the country than here in Canada. But so when the news came out uh, the other day uh, that uh, the Mi'kmaq community was buying half of the company and the other one, uh, the other half was bought by premium brands out of BC, I thought, hmm, that's an interesting mm-hmm. combination. Because mm-hmm. on the one side, you see the Mi'kmaq really empowering themselves, taking over their own destiny economically. Economic development in rural Canada has always been difficult, and that has impacted sure. um, indigenous communities to really grow their economy. But this is really fascinating to see uh, an investment like this. It's half a half a mil, half a billion p- yeah. dollars. That's a lot yeah, of, yeah. that's a lot of money. So I thought, well, great on them. I mean, it's just mm. great to see that happening. And, uh, but I was concerned also about, uh, about the expertise, like running a, a seafood company, you need to know what you're doing, especially when you're dealing with uh, with, uh, with gl- global, global markets. markets. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And so that's when. So the combo with uh, with premium brands really makes sense. I mean, they add, they understand distribution, they understand marketing, they understand brands as well. So I could see this marriage between the two can actually work. I actually can see how complementary. Uh, this association can be the question mark that I have is, and, and by the way, they didn't pay too much for it either. I mean, it's uh, I think it was at eight dollars and twenty five cents per share, which is yeah. It didn't. It, didn't seem, it seemed a savvy deal to me. I mean, and yeah. of course, it also comes at an interesting political time with lots of energy around the lobster fishing industry in uh, Atlantic Canada as well. well that's so that's that's it. Adds context to the, is important oh, too. Yeah, right? the context is a bit dicey, as you can mm-hmm. imagine. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a lot of people are very supportive of of the Mi'kmaq people in in the atlantic and so this is only going to empower the community much more uh, i think it's a game changer for for the mi'kmaq in, in the atlantic which is great my my only question mark is is the marriage is related to the marriage between premium brands and the mi'kmaq community i mean th- those are very are two very different cultures yeah. so it'll it'll be interesting to see how that is going to work over the long well, term. You know, and you see it go both ways, right? And hopefully it goes, it breaks with them that two very different perspectives bring one plus one equals three kind of math, right? Yeah. Um, so I hope, uh, you know, we, we wish him, I wish him certainly all the best. I, I can see how it can work, but uh, I mean, you know this, Michael, when you look at mergers, it's all about culture as well. I mean, yep. it, it doesn't happen overnight. You have to work at it. So it'll be interesting to see how, both premium brands and uh, and the Mi'kmaq people will work very hard at creating a new culture within Clearwater, which is really, frankly, a well-run shop. It's a it's a right. well-managed company uh, before the acquisition. So, some other news this past week. It seems like we have a new presidency in the United States. For most <laughs> most people, have acknowledged it's a Biden presidency. Any thoughts? Early thoughts? Good, bad, neutral? In terms of um, agriculture, food policy. I know a lot of agreements have already been made thanks to uh, Cusma. Um, there's talk about uh, maybe Biden, a Biden uh, presidency rejoining or looking at joining TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or maybe even see any, any early thoughts. I didn't see anything in the campaign related to food. I didn't pay that close attention, but 
nothing. Anything stand out for you? No, I think it's uh, it's going to be the same thing. Uh, the Biden-Harris agenda is very much about a, a nationalistic economy, just like Trump. Uh, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. A couple of things that could change uh, how the White House would handle covid uh, yeah. I think that's pretty obvious, yeah. and that could actually impact America's ability to move things around. I actually mm. do see that, mm. so that could impact us eventually from a food security perspective. But I think, I mean, I, I do believe that the Biden-Harris administration will be very responsible as well. The other thing, of course, is is it's related to climate change. Yeah, they're going to the rejoin, uh, rejoin yeah. the Paris Agreement, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's going to impact agriculture in the U.S. and probably mm. Canada as well from a policy perspective. But that's not mm. tomorrow. Yeah. It's going to take a while, of course. Uh, but uh, I think it's really long overdue. And, and, and of course, in Canada, we're, we, are, we do recognize that climate change exists. Yeah. That's one yeah. thing. And, yeah. and, and our policies are really uh, going in that direction. So without the support of, of Americans, it's much harder yeah. to, uh, to support the Paris Agreement. So it, it's gonna, I think it's going to be good for, for Canada over, overall. And of course, the, the predictability factor is, yeah, is going to be important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the Trump administration normalized madness yeah. and unpredictability. That was the point, right? That was the point. And I think people needed to breathe a little bit. Whether you were you were supportive of, of Mr. Trump's policy or not, it got to a point where people just needed to breathe. And uh, and this is this is what we're going to be looking at for the next four years. I want to talk about uh, something else? You know, on on Rick's been talking about the military. Let's talk about protein burger wars. We've got. McDonald's, McPlant, what's that all about? Because they've been in and out of the protein thing. You know, oops, we annoyed the Alberta farmers and we only carry beef. Now they're back in with McPlant. Pizza Hut announcing they're adding a meatless option. That's kind of no news, but kind of news these days. And, And Beyond Meat got slaughtered. Um, when they their earnings miss and and how do you I, have I, an I heard that miss? pun I heard that pun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what what's going on? What's going on here? We've got we've got is McDonald's go, you know just they're not I mean they don't raise their own cattle. Um, so what what's going on here? Uh, so so first of all, and you know this, Michael, McDonald's is way too big for Beyond Meat. I mean, I, I, you're looking at 38,000 outlets around the world. And I, I when they actually uh, launched their pilot back in September 2019 in southern Ontario with the PLT, immediately I saw uh, uh, something that wasn't really expressed. Uh, I just saw McDonald's exploring the concept of plant-based dieting along with Beyond Meat to see what's going to happen. But but McDonald's is not very good at supporting someone else's brands. I mean, that's right. basically not what they do. That's not what they're in business for. No, and, and it's, not, it's not like A&W, for example, with the Beyond Burger and, and, and Tim Hortons with the – I mean, Tim Hortons became a, uh, a, a, a marketer for, for Beyond Meat. Yeah. That's not what McDonald's – does i mean it's it's all about them it's about supply chains but of course they are seen as an ambassador a very strong ambassador for canadian agriculture and so they have to be very careful but this is what we're hearing right now is is mcdonald's global so it's not just canada it's not just about canada it's it's global and the pilot in canada was for global as well people think it's only for mcdonald's canada but it 
but Canada was actually a lab for it's for good testing ground, right? Yeah, absolutely. Canada's a good testing ground for for South Ontario. When you think about it, South Ontario is not a bad place to test things. It's yeah. like it's like Toronto's King Street with musicals. You know, right? If right. you want to make it in New York, you try it in Toronto. It's the same thing for South Ontario and and fast food. So uh, I good on them for for looking at South Ontario to test the PLT, but. What what was really weird uh, in April when COVID hit, nobody heard anything about what happened to the PLT. It just ended. It just ended. No announcement. No announcements uh, either from Beyond Meat or McDonald's. So no, nobody knew what happened. Now, the Mech plant announcement mm. I thought was interesting because at best, Beyond Meat's role is ambiguous. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's charitable. Did, did you did you read the communique? I mean, it was just yeah. I I don't know what they do, they're doing. Are they selling the RIP? My guess is that they're going McDonald's is going to go at it alone, and they just don't want to impact Beyond Meat's brand equity. There is baggage Beyond with Beyond Meat mm-hmm. now. I mean, yeah, they've yeah. they for for many years now they've they've tried to position themselves as a. Uh, as a replacement provider to beef, to mm. other meats we enjoy. I mean, a lot of Canadians are very much are very committed to the trifecta of meat, which is chicken, mm-hmm. pork, and and beef. Yeah. And so, uh, I think McDonald's is very concerned about that, mm. and that's probably why they're just you know giving themselves some space. And eventually, I think. We're going to see uh, McDonald's uh, vertically integrate uh, itself, or vertically integrating, and and manufacture, uh, and it's happening out west. I mean, you're seeing Nestle, Merit Foods, uh, Rocket. They're all investing in Canada, by the way, in Winnipeg and the Prairies to process foods, to process uh, plant-based products. I wouldn't be surprised if McDonald's does the same thing uh, for for their plant-based agenda. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we will, another thing to keep a close eye. I, I like the um, the Beyond Meat burger. I'm not. Uh, I don't seek it because I want to replace the yeah, taste of meat. Good. I just like it as a veggie burger. But here, just, here's here's the thing. So you don't. You're not French. Uh, but Mac Mac Plant is not the greatest name because Mac Plant. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, seriously, if you translate Mac Plant, you could easily translate it into. McPlant, which would mean which would mean literally McFail. Yeah, you, just you got see that. where I'm getting. <laughs> no, so, no, I just as soon as you said that, I'm like, well, yeah, I know enough French to you know make me dangerous. I mean, so you can, and so mm. since yesterday, since the announcement came out, I, I'm seeing a lot of tweets, pl- mm. people mm. playing around with the name, and uh, I don't know. I mean, so yeah, they may want to think differently or think twice about that name in French. Yeah, and even in English, McPlant. Like seriously. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, what I do know is we've got a great interview with uh, Peter Van Stock that we've uh, we did earlier this morning. So let's have a listen to that. Peter, welcome to the Food Professor Podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a real treat to hear your voice again. You and I have known each other for a couple of years. We spoke, uh, I think, earlier in the summer. I think uh, I want to get to that our discussion and a follow up from that about uh, what was going on with this. Uh, with this pandemic, but why don't we just jump right in uh, and uh, tell us about a little bit about yourself, personal, professional background, your journey, and, and up to and including the founding of Spud, and and about your business. So Van and I were just chatting off mic before uh, we started recording, and he was uh, 
you know, it seems the two of you know each other, but have never met. So this is a great opportunity, right, Sylvain? Absolutely. Yeah, I was uh, really uh, looking forward to today's talk with Peter. There's been a lot of movement uh, with his company. So I'm looking forward to uh, chat uh, with him about some of the stuff going on there. Peter, over to you. Tell us about yourself. You know, thank you both for, again for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Uh, a bit about myself is a serial entrepreneur. I was a professional skier back when I had hair and young, and uh, I thought I could make uh, a big dent in the pro skiing. My father was a psychiatrist and wanted me to go to university, and I was like, are you crazy? I have hair and I have a credit card and I'm sponsored to ski by Ralph and Will. So um, I was doing that, and then the interesting thing, when you're paid to ski, you have the summers off. So I started a business in Edmonton that was selling fruit on the street, and I was creating um, you know, fruit kebabs on the street. And it was really interesting. It was fun. And I was sort of my first taste of entrepreneurship. And then the gentleman that suggested I buy this product out of uh, Florida called Just Pick Juices. And so I sold everything I had. And I said, I'm going to be a millionaire in the orange juice business in Canada. And that was a, a really interesting ride because um, it just took off in the first year sales. I think you can can understand we're like uh, $12,500. So you can imagine that's annual revenue. So that was a, a different jig. And from there, it just sort of expanded and got a license to root beer. Uh, then I was the first person to bring in Arizona iced tea, had Snapple. And then I decided that I wanted to create my own product. So I created a product called Joan Soda. Um, Joan Soda became um, sort of a sort of iconic brand back when I launched it. Moved mm-hmm. to the United States for 10 years. Took the company public on the NASDAQ achieved just under a billion dollar market cap. And in 2007, I said that this is not where I want to be. I don't want to be known for selling sugar water. I don't believe in sugar water. I don't agree with sugar water. And so I quit and sort of do what you do when you quit. You sort of trying to find yourself, bought a motorcycle, built a house, sat on the board of Vitamin Angels, which is an organization for uh, micronutrients for children around the world. Became the chairman of that organization Really proud that it services this year will service over 70 million children. Um, it's part of, you know, the World Health Foundation, uh, locations with Bill and Melinda Gates. Really very, very cool. What they were That's able incredible. To yeah, it's super cool. And it's a really important part to understand the role that food plays in, in development of children in third world countries and even in our country. Anyways, to make this really quickly... Uh, my banker said, look, it's Spud. I said, I don't like the name Spud. Um, <laughs> sounds like a potato. But I really believe in online grocery. And I, I believe that technology is part of, of the solution. And that technology is going to convert people where they buy food. It just has it as they've converted people how they buy apparel. So that's really it. In 2010, uh, so I came in and invested in Spud. In 2017, uh, we bought Blush Lane, which is five stores in, in Alberta. In 2016, we launched Be Fresh stores in British Columbia. In 2018, we partnered with Walmart. And really the important thing about this conversation is why did we partner with Walmart is really to understand how large multinational corporations and multi-large retailers move products and how that's impacted on e-commerce. So, you know, it's really difficult. And when you start understanding the challenges, why they use a store as a fulfillment center, it has to do with the inventory. So we really wanted to understand that. We created a lot of technology and software around that. 
And then in 2019, we launched FoodX Technologies, which is a software company. And we are very proud that our partner is Carrefour, based in France, and we are now building their first location in Belgium. And I hope to be announcing multiple locations with this. I will announce tomorrow a new retailer in Canada with this software and mm. building a more f- FoodX fulfillment centers globally. That's what we're doing, and that's where I'm at. Well, it's, Jesus, fantastic! I mean, such a you know, such a great, uh, such a you great. Took five story. minutes to describe how you changed the world. That's not yeah. bad. Not bad at all. That's not bad at all. Exactly. <laughs> so, just talk about. Uh, we're going to get to all that and unpack that a bit more. But talk about Spud a bit because to describe it as an online grocery service that delivers to doorsteps is is really not capturing all that essence of what you've described. That's what you do, but that's not what the business is about. Give me. A sense for that broader vision. You've touched on it a couple times in your in your opening sure. comments. Um, you know everything, and you and I have, have talked about this fairly extensively. Everything from you know the circular economy to food waste to efficiency. So, so give me the that broader vision that has pulled together so many moving parts, particularly and most recently the um, the, the SaaS based kind of innovation uh, platform that you've developed. The nice thing about Spot is that we're, we're built on values, right? So our value is that we believe that food can support our, our planet and support and nourish our bodies. They, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Our team is really our B Corp. So if you follow what a B Corp is, we, we sort of value people, planet, profit. With that is that allows us to really have amazing people who are very passionate about doing things in a different way. So when you talk about SPUD, what you really, you, what I feel in SPUD is a group of people who are passionate about how do we reduce food waste? How do we reduce our greenhouse gases? How do we support local? How do we have food that's not bad for you? Uh, so we have a band ingredient list and, and you know, it's kind of unique when we look at it. Our team actually takes ingredients that are banned in both um, North America, Europe, uh, both in Canada and U.S., and we actually cross-reference ingredients. So if it's banned in one jurisdiction, meaning U.S. or Canada or in Europe, we're saying, okay, we're not going to take a chance. So we're not going to have that product on our shelves. It's not a, it's not, we're not making someone wrong for eating that product. We're just saying, hey, we just don't want to sell it. And you don't have to worry about reading labels if you shop at Spot. That's really what Spot's about. That's a, that's, well, I mean, basically it's a value-based sort of system to, uh, that drives your decision. Which is, uh, yeah. which is, yeah, that's really interesting. I, um, we're, we're releasing today, uh, our lab, we're releasing, uh, today a, a study on, uh, on e-commerce, uh, in the food space. And, uh, I, I don't think it's going to come as a shock to you, Peter, that, uh, the needle is moving. More people are ordering online, uh, for a variety of reasons, whether it's because of, of COVID the virus or because, uh, they're looking for convenience. Uh, they had, they do have more options online. We actually believe that since the start of COVID, 4.2 million Canadians have actually ordered food online for, for the first time. So it's, it's a lot of people, and we're expecting half of Canadians to continue to order food online at least once a week after the pandemic. And so you can see that really there's, there's some volume happening uh, virtually online, Um I'm, is that something, is that what you're seeing in your crystal ball, uh, Peter, from, from your, from your standpoint? Definitely. So then, uh, what I'm seeing right now is that in spite our sales are a hundred percent, uh, 180% year over year sales growth, but more importantly, 
it, I'm looking at this as a, sort of the longer game. What is the longer? And there's always been these sort of conversations about what percentage of online grocery will stick and what percentage will go back to brick and mortar. And so I, I've, you know, there's, so where we look at is, first of all, I look at markets that are more mature in e-grocery and that would or online grocery. And that would be Europe, obviously, because that's where Ocado started. That's got a much more longer history of penetration in those markets. So I don't look at North America as the, the bellwether toll. And then, and then I look at Asia and, and I think that Asia has a different com- component because of the cost of labor and some of those markets are lower. So you have to t- sort of factor those out. So we, so when we do our sort of analysis, we see that uh, online grocery is going to be anywhere between 20% to 25% in our opinion. And again, it's, just, you know, there's no crystal ball here. This is our opinion by 2025. And then I, I cross-reference that to apparel. And it's really important because we sometimes, in my opinion, we don't take that reference point seriously because if we just look at apparel, which had some similar characteristics, you know, retailers didn't think it was going to go online because people need to try on the products before they buy it. It's just similar to retailers saying that people want to try to see the food and hold the food before they buy it. Very similar characteristics. That's right. So apparel in 2019 is 38.9% is sold online. Retailers that didn't address apparel through the, mm. since the launch in 2007, and the key date is that is 2007 when Amazon bought its first apparel company, which is unique because Amazon bought Whole Food in 2017. The apparel business has had what we call, as you know, Michael, a retail apocalypse, right, from there. And it's just because they haven't reacted because maybe they didn't want to react because of the CapEx and the different models that would have to. And it's easier to put your head in the sand than deal with. I just think there's a lot of similarities between apparel and food, and I think technology is happening faster. And I would agree 100% with what Sylvan is saying, but I think it's going to be around 20%. Um, the total business is going to be grocery by 2020, and I would probably say it's closer to 2025 or 25%. Wow, that's uh, that's incredible. I know you care about sustainability and, and this whole issue of, of local procurement and, and, and local foods. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, looking at e-commerce, what's going on there, looking at your company and your initiatives in, 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 in Europe and, and beyond, um, what are your thoughts around sustainability and, 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 and the fact that more and more people are looking for local products? How do you, how do you mesh all that together in, in your business? Great question. So I think that the reason why people are looking for local food is they want to feel safe, right? So we've, we've, we're disillusioned with the, the scares from E. coli on the romaine or on the onions. We're disillusioned with the, the protein scares during the COVID and, you know, so people are disillusioned with the safety of their food. As running a grocery store, we have very few re- recalls. But the nice thing is if when we had a recall a couple of years ago in Alberta, we were able to contact them personally in within minutes mm. and say, hey, this product's being recalled. Here's how you're handling. That's just because we have the data, right? So that's super cool on e-commerce. When you start really thinking about that one component, when you're talking about food security, Traceability. Traceability is easier. That's right. I would put local food in food security. That's how I would look at it. Okay. And so when when we're now talking to large retailers like Carefor is a really interesting company because when we met with them, this was pre-COVID obviously, they had the Act for Food, which is their main sort of 
key sort of initiative. And if you look at that, the Care for Act for Food is around local food, is around sustainability, and around healthy and organic. These trends are not what you and I are talking about right now is what consumers are looking for. So it's how you use that inventory because when you think about it, a large retailer like a Loblaws or a Metro is giant DCs and their business is to buy in volume and then share that volume with their stores. So the prices are lower, but that doesn't really suit the local vendor. That's where our technology comes in because it's a circular solution as I've shared with Michael we have the ability to pick up, move product, reduce food waste, and leverage that so that we're able to provide local vendors with access to large retailers, not within their current environment. And that's the part of the whole solution that we're providing. That's, 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 that's wonderful. You know, when we last spoke in uh, in the summer, we talked about that at, at, at some length. How uh, even from the doorstep, you know, consumers can recycle their their bottle, even their their packaging film, because film is, is there's so much plastic in grocery stores and on the product and the film itself. We also talked about the supply chain, and this was early on. And, and Sylvan and I, and Sylvan, you talked about it extensively. The early on the the kind of sense of of a bit of food insecurity and the fragileness of the supply chain. Peter, you and I spoke about that. You helped me prep for an interview actually in Vancouver TV. You know, that was, it was was late May, early June. How are you feeling about uh, the, the, your supply chain? Are you, are you more confident that you were in before? Are you still nervous? Give me a sense as a grocer dealing with this on a day to day basis, you're, you're, I guess level of confidence that that uh, through all this um, we've done okay, and and notwithstanding a few bumps in the road that we'll do okay. What's your level of confidence today? You know that's a great question. I think my level of confidence is fine, as I shared with you. Where you know at that time there was this panic buying that we had never seen before. And, you know, and it, it was sort of that reaction. And I think what's happened is we've all started to live within the world of a pandemic, so that sort of reactionary you know, craziness is off. That's sort of zombie apocalypse craziness that we were all thinking that was going to happen has gone away. And so now people are getting back into routines and retailers are, are dealing with it, but more importantly, vendors and suppliers are dealing with it too. Cause you know, it's difficult to run a business when your staff is not in the business. There's a lot of challenges. So we've had about eight months of dealing with that stuff. And I, I think that people are getting into this new norm. It's not it's not easy. There are greater costs. There are greater challenges. But I, I don't see it as, a, as significantly a problem as it, as it was. Um, I would, you know, I've heard, this is what I've heard on the in, in BC, that some of the uh, blueberries and some of the produce was left in the field more so than we've seen this before due to the lack of labor to pick it. And I, I hope that that doesn't occur again next year. That because then that's you're just talking about prices, right? Now we're gonna, you know, we're now we're talking the the really conversation is our price is gonna go up, and that's not for me to speculate, but um, I would say that there's a good indicators that prices are gonna go up. Well, so then it's 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 your job to speculate, but you do more than speculation. You got AI models you've been working on since the summer to come out with your twenty. Twenty one yeah. price report, right? Yeah, our, our uh, next uh, food price report is coming out on December eighth. We've been working with uh, with Guelph, uh, Saskatchewan, and UBC, close to you, Peter. And uh, yeah, we're uh, 
We're seeing the same thing. Absolutely. I, I have to agree with you uh, on that one. And, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think actually it will bring a, a, a variety of opportunities for uh, both industry and, and consumers as well. Yeah. The rising cost of food is, is, is a reality hitting Canada and, and it's been hitting Canada for uh, the last decade. And that's, uh, we're, we don't see that stopping anytime soon. No, unfortunately, I agree. I wouldn't. I, I do. I agree, one hundred percent. I totally see it. I'm curious. Uh, so, Carrefour is a is a is a huge player in Europe. Why did you pick Carrefour? Uh, I'm just curious to know uh, about about that. Sure. So we, you know, we're a small company, and Vancouver's uh, Canada has some really unique things. So let's just talk about the solutions based out there. So when you're thinking about e-grocery solution, you're thinking about what is an end-to-end solution. Profitability of e-grocery is in the total solution, meaning by the time the product hits your dock to the time your customer gets their order at the door, all the costs, what we call fully burdened costs in between that, right? So you can't just cherry pick. I'm only going to cost charge or understand the cost of the inbound, I'm not going to understand the cost of the outbound, I'm not going to understand the cost of delivery, you know what I mean? So there's, you have to really look at a fully burdened solution, and that's an end-to-end solution. So mm. Carefor comes to us, and uh, they actually flew here to see us. And they <laughs> really? Are, how, did they, how did they hear about you, about, about I, your organization? How did that work? I sent an email. I sent eight emails. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear to God, I, I have no business development. Michael, I'm telling you the truth. We sent eight emails and people came to see us. And uh, Never underestimate the power of an email. <laughs> never underestimate the power of an email. They came to see us. They flew in. and they, But they brought their – there's two types of people. So then in groceries, there's their tech team and there's the operation team. The operation team is tasked to make sure the product gets to the customer and there's an experience. The tech team is tasked to be wow on tech. They sent their operation team in who is really smart, who understand the entire complexity of the business. And it's not about putting a robot into a fulfillment center. As you can see by the most recent Forbes article or Wall Street Journal, Walmart is pulling robots out and adding humans. It's not about that. It's about a holistic solution to the problem. And you can't just cherry pick and say, I'm going to be, put an ASRS solution, like a takeoff in the back of the store, and that's going to work. It doesn't work. And that's coming out like with spades, people are seeing that. So why I was so excited to work with Carrefour is that they've seen this movie before. They're in, as you said, they're in the hot spot of e-grocery. They're in the mm-hmm. hot spot of online grocery. Ocado is just you know, a, a stone throw away from them. You know, you have Tesco over there. This is really, this is not Canada. This is completely different from the mindset over there because they're dealing with it. And they said, we want to understand three things. We want to be quick to market. We want to reduce our CapEx and we want to build profitable distribution. So I said, so come and see what we have. This facility has got, can do 300 million in revenue. It costs $14 million Canadian dollars to build. Compare that to an Okada solution. I'm not making Okada wrong. I'm just saying these are two different solutions. We do not have auto store robotics in our solution. We have 
technology conveyance and software driving this, and we will add antibiotics robotic solution to expand uh, the SKUs and increase the, the, the number of SKUs for our customers. But this is not, this is a different way of thinking about it. It's a completely different way to solve the problem. And they're like, well, this is how we want to solve the problem. And they tested us for eight months. And, you know, we had, you know, science um, data, people going through our data, people looking at what we're doing. And they said, no, your stuff is on. And uh, that's what we're doing. And so that's, that's really what it did. And that's why I'm so proud of working with Carrefour is that they know what they're doing. You know, it's, it's hard to explain this to sometimes to, to our Canadian people because you need, in Canada, you need to be validated by somebody else to before you're good. But, you know, ouch so true yeah, it, but it, ouch it's it, it, it truly because you're you, you know and, and I, I remember that you know at, at Jones Soda and I just I was nobody until People Magazine said I was good and then everybody said I was good and I was like they just took a picture of a bald man and said that I know how to make soda I don't, I, it doesn't make me good it doesn't have nothing to do with good but we're good and uh, that's how Care4 came about and we're, we're really excited about opportunities to work with them in other locations, but prove our model out continuously. And, and that's the other thing that we do for our partners. Huh, there great. is not one glove that fits all. Canada is a unique market. In, you're in Halifax. My daughter went to school in Dalhousie. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of, of Halifax, and I love the city. But that's a small community, and it can't afford uh, Ocado Solution, that market. Not a chance. Wow. Right? Incredible story. Yeah. So that's what we did. Well, the the exciting part to me is, um, A, your success, which which is richly deserved and hard won, because I think you underestimate. I just sent an email is is a vast underestimation of all the work that when they check the person who sent the email, they're like, okay, this is serious. We're getting on a plane. But the fact that the Canadian entrepreneur is, is developing internationally based uh, solutions is really exciting to me. And, and so Van, you must be excited as well, because it's something you you're passionate about is, is building that Canadian industry on based on our expertise here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's, it's, I mean, what, what Peter's doing is we don't, we don't see enough. Uh, it was kind of sad to, to see, I mean, Sobe's uh, partnership with Ocado is interesting, but um, I mean, Ocado or a partner to support Sobe's ambitions should have been Canadian. <laughs> really i mean there are a lot of things going on that uh that perhaps Kane leadership should should have been involved but uh, unfortunately we're, we're not we're not out there it's it's really great to see a Canadian company partnering with carrefour so it's the other way around which is we, I, i'm not even sure if people are aware of what's actually happening with uh with, with the company yeah no it's it's just a great story well, hopefully we can do what we do on the podcast to raise that awareness, fix that problem. Because exactly. Peter, um, Peter, you're doing amazing things. I, I, I want to ask you what's next now. Maybe I can, maybe I can tempt you because you said you you tweaked or teased that you're going to announce another uh, another partner tomorrow. Now we're not releasing this podcast till tomorrow. Sure, which is the twelfth. So y- you can actually, if you want, you can actually tell us who that is because uh, this will. This will go out the same time. It goes out midnight tonight. Yeah, no. So um, we're announcing a. a so where we we really think there's a mid market, and we call there's regional players, uh, Sylvan, both in Canada and um, U.S. That you know we always talk about the WalMarts, the Krogers, 
the big guys. Like, but those there's a lot of guys that are, you know, and especially in the U.S. When you think about a regional player, mm-hmm. like they could be the size of of Loblaws. You know, HEB is the size of Loblaws. Public is the size of Loblaws. Those are just reality. So we wanted to show a mid market solution that we wanted to say that how could we help the independent grocers? How could we help a grocer in Halifax that maybe have 10 or 15 stores that still will need to go online because a portion of his business in there, but he goes online profitably. So we've created what we now mid-market and we're now launching this is a full solution. So that means the previous solutions we launched were headless, meaning that there was only a back-end solution. This solution that we're announcing tomorrow is a full front-end, full solution from basically soup to nuts. I, you know, there's nothing else. There's, it's all part of it. And it's with a smaller retailer. And I'm really excited to, because I think that supports local in and a good, healthy economy in Canada, as well as a good, healthy economy globally, is that you can provide those solutions at a cost-effective manner for like a 10-store chain. But, you know, how do you do it? So we know how to play with Walmart and Care4. How do we play with the small guy. So the announcement tomorrow is with a small regional re- retailer and it's a complete system, meaning that they're getting the front end, they're getting the back end, they're getting ability to do delivery, they're getting routing software. And it's a really sexy thing. And I, I will announce the name, I'll send it to you. And the name is the retailer is, it's a small retailer in Vancouver. It's really cool. That's that's awesome. I mean, when I'm thinking about uh, independent grocers that really, uh, I think is getting they're getting a second win as a result of COVID. This is actually a great opportunity for them to pivot and and grow a new market, uh, empowering them to grow their uh, a market that may they may not actually have the expertise to do so. But you're bringing the expertise so they can actually flourish, and because people will want uh, diversity, will want to uh, to uh, diversify their portfolio of of grocers, I guess, which is great. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, and and for me, uh, you know, the kind of last comment is is you do it in such a way you bring a solution that they can still make money at. So Van off and I were talking off mic about these high high costs of you know your Uber Eats and the other third parties that really just the profits just not not there. So it's it's a it, I really look forward to. Uh, to tomorrow, which is actually later today, and we'll be sure and, and kind of connect those dots. So um, we really, uh, we really nailed it, Sylvan, because you're releasing e-commerce research. We're talking to a leading e-commerce grocer. That's right. And he, who's making an announcement tomorrow? We hit the trifecta. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so the only thing that I would say to this is the way that, and Sylvan, this is what I would really say for retailers to rethink about e-commerce and think about it. How can they create? The way we approach it is that we know what it costs to build a store. Well, now, how do you use that those unit economics that you're comfortable with and convert those into an e-commerce platform and then have those unit economics prove out to be more profitable than your store? So if your CapEx to build a store for a small player is X or your CapEx to build a large store for amount is Y, that's the number that we're given. Now we know how to play. Give us that number and we'll make a solution for you because that's the appropriate way to think about the solution. It's not, don't give me $100 million and build out a solution that's way overbuilt. Give me what you need to you would expect to build in a store and tell me your unit economics that you want. And our team will then come back and prove it and make that work within those guidelines. That's the sexy thing we do. That's sort of how we look at it. We take exactly what they're doing and we figure it out. And then we use software to that. 
when they want more hardware, if they want more like robotics, we throw that in there. But it's really based on that. And that's what I think is so important that people are missing. Hmm. Well, Peter, you, it, it's been a fantastic conversation. Um, and I really thank you for taking the time uh, early in your morning uh, this morning to chat with us here on the Food Professor podcast. It was a real treat and uh, uh, I really uh, look forward to continuing to watch uh, your success. Uh, congratulations so far and, and looking forward to seeing uh, continued success. Super appreciative. Thank you so much. Yeah. Congratulations, Peter, and all the best to you. Thank you. Well, you know, I've known Peter for uh, many years, as I've said, and, and he's always been that visionary. He's always been going in the opposite direction. And uh, boy, he's got he's got a, a real tiger by the tail. It sounds like it's, it's it's so great. Again, I mentioned this in the interview to see a Canadian entrepreneur, Canadian technology exported around the world, particularly to like a behemoth like uh, like oh, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I I was really intrigued uh, about about um, by by the Carrefour story, and uh, of course, uh, I think modestly he said that an email got them to fly halfway around the world to meet him. But yeah, uh, yeah great story, and thank you so much, Michael, for uh, getting 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 him on mm. our, onto our podcast because uh, he just has a great story. And I, and I think we're going to continue to hear from him and from his company in years to come. Well, last thing I wanted to bring up uh, in what's turned out to be a, a somewhat lengthy episode, because uh, Peter uh, was great, you know, talking to Peter, he's got so much, uh, so much to say. And it's kind of connected to what we've been talking about with Peter. I just noted this whole upstream battle, so to speak, for, uh, GMO salmon, kind of swimming, yes. uh, swimming against the, the, the currents here. So yes. um, I guess it was a federal court in the U.S. said you can't do it, uh, declares um, them unlawful. Is this a big deal? Should we be paying closer attention to this? And I think, I think if I'm not wrong, genetically engineered salmon is allowed in this country. It is um, recently, right? It, it is. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. been allowed for, I believe, two years now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting uh, ruling because uh, it's all about risk assessment, and this is this is why genetically modified anything is controversial because it depends how you uh, value or how you you assess the creation of these things. Uh, in Europe, they look at the process, while in North America, we tend to look at. Um, the end product itself, whether or not it is safe for human consumption. So that's why, yeah, we're not too uh, caught up on crossing breeds and, and different species where we only look at the end product. Whereas in Europe, from my biological perspective, it's much more controversial if you actually start looking at, you know, uh, crossing two different species that wouldn't, that wouldn't naturally cross in nature. That's right, basically right. what uh, genetically genetic engineering is is all about. Now, with this ruling, they're basically so in California, it is saying to the company uh, and to the FDA, you're you haven't really properly assessed risks, environmental risks enough. If one fish gets out, what happens? Mm, yeah, and, and I think with livestock, because we we are expecting more genetically modified livestock to to hit the market in years to come. I think this sends a really strong signal to companies like Aquabanti uh, mm. looking at uh, selling genetically modified livestock to the market. Uh, you need to do your homework. If something happens, are we compromising nature? Right. Uh, so the, the the decision could 
I'm not saying it will, but it could impact policy here in Canada uh, because we're, we're often influenced by what goes on in the United States. Actually, the genetically modified salmon was approved in Canada, I think, months apart from, from the U.S. So mm. I wouldn't mm. be surprised if at the CFIA, for example, uh, we, we start looking at the ruling and see, hmm, maybe we should ask more, more, questions. Uh, more mm. questions related to environmental risks. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, a busy episode. Let's leave it there. I did want to, to dedicate this episode to the, uh, the men and women of our armed services who, uh, who stand in harm's way. And, and to Absolutely. you, thank you for your, thank you for your service, uh, in, in protecting oh, our, our country sure. and our freedom and our values and, and, uh, all those great things. So I wanted to dedicate this episode to, to, to all of them. And, and uh, if you liked what you heard on this episode, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, your favorite podcast platform. Please rate and review and be sure to recommend to a friend or colleague in the grocery food service or restaurant industry. I'm Michael LeBlanc, producer and host of the Voice of Retail podcast, a bunch of other stuff. And I'm Sylvain Chalabois. Have a safe week, everyone. Take care.